SEP Fanfic Readings presents Aurelian by Biddy Blue Eyes. Chapter 13 Looking Toward a New Future. Harry ruffled his tussled wet hair, readjusted the belt of his fleece tartan dressing gown, and grabbed his mug of coffee off of the kitchen counter before starting upstairs. His mind swam with many troubling thoughts of the last few days, and his sleep suffered for it. He had stayed up late into the night, tossing and turning in bed. When he woke in the morning, he felt even more exhausted than he had before going to bed. He trudged into the bathroom for a shower, with hope that it would help revive him. When it didn't, he asked Creature to make a pot of coffee. If that didn't work, the next step was reaching for an invigoration draft. Harry's feet felt heavy as lead as he trudged up the stairs from the kitchen. He took a sip of his coffee and grimaced. Is it to your liking, Master? Creature asked. Um, yeah, it's great, Harry lied. Though the Black family house-elf he inherited had become much more pleasant after the war, he also became a lot more clingy. Ever willing to please, Creature didn't seem to have enough to do and followed Harry around the house until he was given more orders. Harry tried not to let it bother him, but sometimes it was just too much. He was getting rather desperate for some space and considered either completely dirtying a room that would help Creature keep him busy for a time or sending him to help clean the burrow. Harry paused halfway up the stairs and listened intently. Was that the chime in the fireplace? he asked. He honestly wasn't sure if it was or if it was just his tired mind playing tricks on him because he rarely received company so early, and he certainly wasn't expecting anyone. Creature thinks so, Master Harry. Should Creature check, sir? Yeah, Harry answered distractedly as he wondered who might be calling. He walked back down the stairs and opened the kitchen door. Morning, Harry, Hermione greeted brightly. Master Harry, you have a visitor. Miss Hermione Granger awaits your presence in the kitchen. Creature announced decorously. Yes, thank you, Creature, Harry said dryly. Creature is happy to be of service, sir, he said with a bow. Uh, Creature, do you think you could, um, Harry fished around quickly for a task for the elf. Go purchase some new candles for the chandelier in the foyer. Um, purple ones. We could use some change in color. Of course, Master, Creature agreed. With a crack, he was gone. Harry sighed. I swear the poor old thing gets battier every day. Harry, Hermione admonished. It wasn't meant as an insult. I feel bad for the poor thing, Harry admitted. What are you doing here anyway? Nice to see you too, she chuckled. I'm here for a couple reasons. Hermione walked over to the long kitchen table and allowed the large, heavy stack of files in her arms to thump down onto it. First, Malfoy owled me last night to tell me that he's not going to be able to help this morning. His dinner with Pansy got moved up to brunch today. That's good, and that is him helping, Harry said. Hermione nodded in agreement. The main reason I'm here, though, is to warn you. I went to the office early today to get the key to the locked file room from Kristoff and discovered that Robards is looking for you. If you go into the office today, he's going to corner you, she said seriously. Harry sighed. Yeah, I guess I should be prepared for that. He's been getting suspicious with how frequently I'm in and out of the office and that I'm not working with any other oars. He's seen me working specifically with you, and then specifically with Ron, and then both of you yesterday. And when he asked... Felix told him that we were still working with Malfoy. I don't know why that should be a surprise to him, as he had all the paperwork for it. Anyway, I've got to talk to Kingsley. I knew I probably would, but I'm still not looking forward to it. I don't know what to tell him, either, Harry admitted. He trusts you, Harry. I doubt he'll make you reveal too much. And once he's okay, it will officially be confidential case, Hermione said optimistically. Yeah, I know. I'll owl him today, Harry conceded. So what's all this? He asked, gesturing to the large stack of files. If you don't want a confrontation with Robards today, I thought we'd work here, Hermione explained. Perfect. He set his coffee down on the table and took a seat. 
Yes, you don't even need to get dressed, she teased, noting his pajama trousers and dressing gown. Hey, you showed up here unannounced, so you get what you get, he smirked. You know I don't mind, just like I know you don't mind me showing up unannounced. Now, before we get on with these files, you have to tell me what happened with McGonagall. What did she have to say about Dennis? Harry stared dejectedly at his coffee cup. It turns out that he disappeared before, we thought. McGonagall said that he left school before the end of term. He hadn't even finished taking his NEWTs. What? Hermione asked in surprise. Yeah. He told her that there was a family matter he needed to deal with. She was rather flustered that he wouldn't tell her about it, but she didn't press him. She offered to speak to the ministry about setting up a date where he could finish his NEWTs during the summer, but he declined, he stated. He declined? Harry, I'm more concerned than ever. This wasn't just about him giving his parents a story and taking off. This was premeditated, Hermione said seriously. Whatever he's doing, he dropped everything. He left school early, but he still had to return to his parents after term. And now neither the school nor his parents have seen him for over a month. I know, Harry said. I'm really worried about what he's gotten himself into. Harry and Hermione sat silently with their thoughts for a few moments before Harry continued. I've been thinking all last night that we're going to have to let the Weasleys in on this. They already know about Aurelian, and that we're trying to fix some future event. They've been a lot more patient about getting answers than I would ever be. We need help if we're going to fix this, and we owe it to them to tell them what's going on. I agree, said Hermione quietly with a small nod. So, what do you propose? A meeting, tomorrow. We invite all the Weasleys here. Bill, Fleur, Percy, the twins, Charlie, everyone. I think we need to carefully decide just what we can reveal and what we can't. They shouldn't know everything. It's just too much. It's devastating and disheartening to know everything. I want them to feel our confidence, not our fear, Harry said with a pensive yet determined expression. Malfoy? Hermione questioned. Yes, we'll invite him to be here. I hope that he'll agree, but it's his choice. I'll have to talk with Ron about tolerance, Harry said as much to himself as to Hermione. Harry, Hermione started apprehensively. Speaking of telling the Weasleys, why haven't you told Ginny about James? Harry looked surprised by her question, and his expression fell to one of immense dejection. I don't know. I mean, what am I supposed to say? He asked with frustration. Hermione anxiously nibbled her lip and bit back a great many things she wanted to say. Have you told Ron? Harry shook his head. Again, what am I supposed to say? Harry repeated with growing frustration. Hey, yeah, in the pensive, I'm married to Ginny and we have a kid together. Is that what I'm supposed to say? Harry, Hermione gently reproved. No, seriously, what am I supposed to say? He demanded. I don't even know what to think of it myself. I haven't said anything about it before now because I know it's uncomfortable. But you have to talk to them about this, Harry, she quietly insisted. Talk to me. And say what exactly? Harry asked. You were there. You saw it. I had Ginny and I had James and we were living in the most miserable life. Harry, she said firmly. I know, okay? I know that. I know it's not... Ugh. Everything's just so... I don't know what to say, Harry said moodily back in his chair. Just say whatever you're thinking. It's not good to keep it bottled up. I know it's affected you. Talk to me, Hermione pleaded. Harry's shoulders drooped when he realized that he was letting himself get too uptight, getting snippy and frustrated with Hermione when she was doing nothing except trying to be there for him. Hermione watched him deflate as he dropped his defenses and she waited patiently. She could see the pain and conflict inside of him and he tried to find his words. You know, Ginny and I have been together for two years now and I've loved her much longer than that. Would you believe that in all that time we never once discussed marriage? Harry asked with a sad smile. I mean, 
I know she's the one. We're just not ready. I know, though, that one day, when the time is right, I'll ask her to marry me. And I know that when we're ready and that day comes, she'll say yes. We've never talked about it. I mean, I've imagined it, of course. I imagine us and I imagine making a family with her. But imagining is nothing. I entered the pensive and saw that it wasn't just an idea. I saw her. Us. And him. He's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen, and I'm never going to see him again. Hermione sat quietly while she watched and listened to her friend. She had known that it was what he had been thinking, but to hear him say it and see how hurt he was by it was painful. Harry placed his elbow on the table and ran his hand through his hair in frustration. You know about time travel better than I do, he continued. You know about the butterfly effect. No matter what happens next, things will never be like we saw in that memory. James is never going to exist. Ginny and I will still get married someday and we might have children, but it will never be that boy. I could have a son and name him James, but it wouldn't be him. We could have six children, all girls, and I could be so happy. But that boy, that son of mine, will never exist, and I'm never going to be able to forget his face. I'm in mourning, Hermione. I'm mourning a person I've never met and will never get the chance to meet. I know. Hermione said softly. I just, I feel so terrible. After seeing how much I loved him, after seeing how much Ginny loved him, how can I tell her about him? How can I even begin to explain this to her? He's never going to exist, and he's never going to have to suffer all that he did, but I still saw it, and I wish that I could see him. I wish that I could just say that I'm sorry, Harry grimaced. It hurts, Harry. We saw terrible things, and it hurts, she said dolefully. But even with how horrible the memories were, there were still wonderful things we'll never see now. There are things to mourn, and I mourn them too. I, Hermione sighed and stared down in front of her where she fidgeted with the corner of the file in front of her. What? Harry asked as it was obvious that she had meant to say more. Hermione grimaced. She had hoped that he hadn't noticed. Nothing, she said with a small shake of her head. No, you were going to say something, Harry pried. It's stupid. She shook her head dismissively. I don't believe that. I don't believe that there's a single thought in your head that can be stupid. You said you're hurting too, and now you won't talk to me. I'm not the only one who was affected by those memories. Talk to me. Don't feel like I'm the only one. Harry pressed. Harry knew her too well now. It was the last phrase that got to her. Don't let me feel like I'm the only one. He did it because he knew she'd play it down otherwise. It's not the same for me as it is for you, and I know that, she started. I have Aurelian still. He's been saved from that horrible existence, but he still had to live through all of that. He still hurts and it hurts me. I'm never going to be the mother he knew. I'm never going to be the woman that gave birth to him or saw his first smile or heard his first word or watched his first step. I feel like I've lost that. His past is something I've never had and will never have, and I feel like I'm letting him down because I never will be that woman that he shared so much with. You're right that that future will never exist. Therefore, the life he knew will never exist. He comes from nowhere now. His past is gone. I'm what he has now. I can't send him back to where he came from because it no longer exists. Not that I'd ever dream of sending him back to that. I just, I mourn his past and... She sighed again. It was just too much. Hermione, Harry said gently but firmly. She looked up at his eyes and saw that he wasn't going to allow her to stop there. It's stupid. It's not, he insisted. She sighed again and paused. Her emotions were strong and bubbled just beneath the surface. 
She felt her lip begin to quiver and her eyes begin to sting. I mourn my husband. She looked up at him and saw that he wasn't anything he could have expected, but he looked concerned. He hurt for her the same way she hurt for him. I have never had anyone before. I've always secretly hoped for it, though. Someone to love. Someone to love me. I saw it. I had it there. A love I never really believed I could find. Now that I've seen that it's possible, now that I know I've had that, I feel empty without it. And it's not Malfoy I'm pining for, she clarified. I'm not mourning Malfoy. I'm mourning a love that I might have had. A love I may never experience again. That's not stupid, Harry assured her. It's not a stupid thing to mourn a great love, but I don't doubt that you'll one day have that love. You're a lovable person, Hermione. I don't know why you doubt that. Hermione simply shrugged her shoulders in reply. She couldn't use her voice for fear she would break down and cry. No more, Harry said firmly. He reached out and took her hand in his atop the table. We've let it out, both of us. No more mourning. These events are never going to happen and we can't waste time dwelling on them. If that boy means anything to me, then I will do anything I can to make sure that none of my future children will be affected by these events. And you, you have the power to create an incredible future for yourself and for Aurelian. Don't think about what you could have had. Think about what you can have. You're right. Hermione said with a tiny smile as she squeezed his hand in return. There are endless possibilities. We need to work on creating the future we want. And with that, Hermione let go of his hand and slid the top file off of her stack and pushed it in front of Harry. Six o'clock now, Mummy? Six o'clock? Aurelian asked as he trailed behind his mother. No, Aurelian, not yet. Soon, though. Hermione answered his amused exasperation as she set the last plate on the kitchen table. Six o'clock a minute? The boy asked. No, not in a minute. In a few minutes. He's coming. You'll just have to be patient. She smiled as she brushed his hair with her fingers. While we wait, though, you should brush your hair. Then I have to go get dressed. Aurelian giggled. You already have clothes, mummy. Yes, you're right, she said firmly, more to herself than to Aurelian. She had been nervous about Draco coming to her house for dinner since she had invited him, but her anxiety had continued to build as the time of his arrival drew closer. She debated about what she wanted to wear for hours before she could begin dinner. She thought of trying to look nice, but quickly became angry with herself for thinking it. After all, his intent was to see Aurelian, not her, and she had no need to try to impress him anyway. But then, she had invited him over, so she didn't want to look the part of a bad host. Then she reminded herself that it was just Malfoy coming to play with Aurelian. She wouldn't dress up for Ron or Harry or Ginny, so why should she dress up for Malfoy? She looked down at her denim capris and simple white top. They would have to do because she refused to dress up to impress their company. His visit had nothing to do with her. But she could at least put her hair up a bit, right? Hermione was able to get Aurelian to hold still for a couple seconds so that she could brush his hair, but he took off immediately after. His hair was a bit wiry and refused to lay flat. It was by no means as wildly impossible as her own, but it shared some of its properties, like just the tiniest bit of curl to it. Were it longer, it would have been wavy, hair that most women would envy. When she finished with him, she put her hair back and pinned it with barrette. Six o'clock now, mummy? Aurelian asked as his head popped around the bathroom door. No, she repeated. You'll know when, she sighed. As soon as she had answered no, he'd run off to the living room again. He made her even more anxious. He was so excited that Draco was coming over to see him, and she was afraid that he might be disappointed. She didn't know what to expect herself. 
Hermione started back to the kitchen and looked around uncertainly. She had already prepared everything. The table was set, the counters cleaned, and dinner was in the oven. Still, she felt like she should be doing something. She opened the oven door and closed it again. Yet, Mummy? Six o'clock yet? Aurelian asked. Aurelian? Hermione sighed. He will be... Hermione stopped just when she heard the chime from the fireplace. He here! Aurelian shouted before he ran into the living room. Hermione took a deep breath and followed after. Daddy! Hermione walked in to see Aurelian squeezing Draco's legs again. Draco's lips quirked into a small, lopsided smile. He didn't seem to know what to do, but gently reached down and touched the toddler's head. Aurelian pulled back and beamed up at his father. Like your robe! Like your robe, Daddy! Aurelian said, touching Draco's charcoal gray robes. They were in no way extraordinary. They didn't look old, but they didn't look brand new either. It seemed a funny compliment. You like my robe, Daddy? Like mine? Aurelian pinched the front of his robe and pulled it forward to try to give Draco a better look. Um, yes, very nice, Draco answered. Me and Mummy buy them today. They're blue. I likes blue. You like blue too, Daddy? The boy rambled happily. Yes, it's a very nice color, Draco told him. You made a good choice. Draco looked up at Hermione and felt rather uncertain of himself. But just then, he felt like he was being graded. What's that, Daddy? What's that? Aurelian asked as he pointed to the gift in Draco's hand and another under his arm. I got you something, Draco told him, glancing back up to Hermione to make sure she didn't look disapproving. He felt a little better to see that she simply looked curious. Curious was okay. Here. Draco handed Aurelian a small box wrapped in red striped paper that matched a ribbon. Aurelian clutched the box to his chest and ran over to Hermione. Look, Mummy, a present! Daddy got me a present! He squealed with excitement. That's very nice, Hermione said with a small smile. Why don't you ask when he wants you to open it? I open it? Aurelian asked on his way back to Draco. Of course, he answered. That's what it's for. The small boy plopped unceremoniously onto his bottom in the middle of the room and started thrashing the paper from the box. Draco chuckled. Tornadoes! Aurelian shouted. I got Quidditch people's mummy, look! He jumped up from the floor and ran over to Hermione to show her the contents of the open box. Hermione leaned forward to see seven Quidditch figures clad in blue, walking the bottom of the box with their brooms in their hands. Balls too, mummy! They has new balls! See? Aurelian lifted the box a little higher for Hermione to get a better look, and the figures inside stumbled to keep their balance. It's a wonderful gift. What do you think you should say? Hermione prompted. You play with me? Aurelian rushed back over to Draco. I meant you should say thank you, Hermione corrected. Thank you, Daddy. You play with me? Draco chuckled again. You have to ask your mother that. I don't know when dinner will be ready. Please, Mommy, Aurelian begged. Just for a few minutes, Hermione said. Dinner will be ready in about 15 minutes. Yay! Come on, Daddy, Aurelian called. He squeezed the box in one arm, squished its edges in a bit, and grabbed Draco's hand. He started to pull him toward the hall when Hermione called out to stop them. Where are you going, Ari? she asked. To our room. But I don't has Quidditch rug no more, Aurelian told Draco sadly. No, not the bedroom, Hermione said. You guys can play in the living room. But Mummy's bed good for Quidditch, Aurelian pouted. Sorry, not this time, Hermione said firmly. It's all right, Aurelian. The floor here is nice, Draco told him. I can make an outline of the pitch if you want. It won't leave any marks, he added quickly to Hermione. Yeah, of course, Hermione agreed. I'm just going to go in and check on the... Wait, Draco cut her off. This is for you. 
Hermione was shocked and extremely nervous when Draco handed her the gift bag that was still in his hand. She had completely forgotten about it and certainly hadn't expected it. She stared at him warily. For dinner, he said. He looked extremely anxious by her reaction, or lack thereof. He swallowed hard, his throat suddenly dry. I didn't know what you were making. I hope Red's all right? He pulled the top of a wine bottle out of the gift bag and slid it back in. You don't have to use it tonight. It's for you. I just, um, here. Draco pushed the bag forward and Hermione nodded as she accepted it. She felt like an idiot. He was a classy person. Of course he would bring wine or a gift for the hostess. That's what one did when visiting another's house. She just rarely went to such a formal type dinner in which a gift would be given. She certainly hadn't seen their dinner as one of those occasions. It was just a playdate for Aurelian. She wondered again if she should have dressed a little better. She suddenly realized that she was just standing there looking at the bottle like an idiot and mentally kicked herself. Thank you, she said hurriedly. I'll just go get some glasses. You don't have to, he said again. No, no, it's great. Very thoughtful. I just, we're only having macaroni and cheese, Aurelian's request. This is good, though. It'll make the meal a bit more classy, Hermione said awkwardly. Daddy, come on, Aurelian whined and pulled on Draco's hand. I'm sorry, Draco said uncertainly, seeing that he made her feel uncomfortable. No, no, it's very nice. It will go great. Thank you, Hermione replied. I'll just finish things up. Hermione set the bottle of wine down in the kitchen and bent over the counter with her head in her hands. The whole thing felt weird to begin with, but she had already made right fool of herself. She took comfort in the idea that Draco felt as uncertain as she did. Now that she thought about it, she wondered if he hadn't been doing the same thing she had. Had he debated whether to bring wine? Had he debated what to wear? No, he always looked nice wherever he went. She stood up from the counter and removed the cork from the bottle with a quick flick of her wand. She took two empty wine glasses to the table and placed them at opposite sides. She filled the three glasses already at the table with ice and water and returned to the counter to finish prepping the crisp green salad. A short while later, she stood in the open entry to the kitchen and watched Aurelian and Draco discuss the different Quidditch figurines that walked around on her carpet. After a moment, she announced, All right, dinner's ready. Time to put the toys away. Mommy, we not played yet, Aurelian protested. Then what were you doing? I told you dinner would be ready soon, Hermione told him. We not ready. We playin', Aurelian whined. It's okay. They're yours. You'll have plenty of time to play with them, Draco assured him. We play after food? Aurelian asked, his full pout still in place. Draco was afraid to answer. Should he not give the right one, he was certain the boy would start crying. Yes, you can play after dinner, Hermione agreed, appearing completely unperturbed. Yay! Aurelian cheered and raced for the table. Remember to sit in the tall chair, Hermione called after him. Seeing how uncomfortable he had been sitting on his knees on the table, she extended the legs of one of the chairs. Aurelian was quite happy with it the first few times, but he very soon began to insist that he was too big for it. Sorry, Hermione said with a blush when she realized that she hadn't just shouted with Draco standing right next to her. Go ahead. Draco nodded, walked past her, and looked around the small kitchen. There was hardly enough room at the counters for two people to stand side by side. At the other end was a round table with four chairs. It was covered in a crisp white linen tablecloth and three place settings. Here, Daddy, Aurelian said, patting the table at his left. This your seat. Draco sat down and casually placed his napkin on his lap. He looked curiously at the small drinking glass filled with yellow dandelions that sat in the center of the table. You like the flowers? I picked them for Mummy. But you have them if you like them. They're Mummy's favorites. You like them? Aurelian asked. No, your mother can keep them, Draco said with a smile. 
We were playing in the community garden, and he wanted to pick all the flowers, Hermione explained as she placed the casserole dish of macaroni and cheese in the center of the table near the salad bowl. I told him dandelions are my favorite, and so those are the only kind he picked, Hermione said with a meaningful look at Draco. Draco's smile grew. The entire wizarding world knew she was brilliant, but that demonstrated to Draco that she was also quite creative and manipulative. With one simple declaration of her, quote, favorite flower, she prevented a toddler from pillaging the neighborhood's flower beds and at the same time encouraged him to pick the weeds. Aren't they beautiful? Hermione pressed, her eyes begging him to play along. Lovely. They give the table the perfect touch of color, Draco smirked. Hermione poured Draco a glass of the Merlot that he had brought her and mouthed thank you. She then took a seat, looked nervously between the two of them. Well, help yourself, Hermione urged, plating the food for Aurelian before herself. I love roni cheese, Aurelian announced. You like roni cheese, Daddy? I honestly haven't had it in a long time. It sounds really good, actually, he admitted. It's very gooey and yummy, Aurelian told him with his mouth full. Chew first, please, Ari. Hermione asked nicely. A few moments passed in silence, and Draco felt compelled to say something, but he really wasn't sure what to say. So, it's a nice place you have. Hermione looked at him strangely. I mean, I've been here a few times before, but I've only ever seen the living room, he said. Hermione chuckled. It's small, I know, but it's comfortable. It's nice, really, Draco assured her. I like how you've decorated it. Though he tried to convince her that he meant it, she still wondered if he did. It was small and in no way elegant, which she was sure he was used to. It's rather simple, but that's me, really. I've never needed much myself. It doesn't cost much, which helps me put away quite a bit of my pay. Draco nodded. He could see that she really loved the place, and that she wasn't sure his compliments were sincere. He then felt the need to quickly change the subject. So, how did things go today? He asked. Okay, I guess. Harry and I discussed quite a few things. He's going to Kingsley tomorrow to officially make our case confidential. That way his boss will stop trying to look into things. It will also give Harry the discretion to call on whatever help he needs without prior authorization. It will really help us. After that, Aurelian and I went to Diagon Alley to get him fitted for some robes. Yeah, Aurelian said excitedly. The lady's measurer went this way and that way and all the way around. The boy made large, expressive movements to demonstrate and almost knocked over the bottle of wine in the process. Hermione quietly moved the bottle to the other side of the table. We only got him the one robe today, and we didn't have much time. We're going to go back and get him more soon, Hermione continued. And I picked this one, Aurelian said, pinching his robes to show Draco again. I likes blue. Yeah, I know, said Draco. What else did you do today? I played at the burrow and drived Uncle Art's motorbike way, way far, Aurelian answered with a brilliant smile. Draco looked sternly at Hermione. Just pretend, Hermione assured him. Mr. Weasley collects a lot of muggle things, and Aurelian likes to play with them. He was playing in the sidecar of the motorbike again today. And I flied all the way to the moon, Aurelian beamed, extending his arms all the way up, pointing his fork at the ceiling. I show you what I got. Uncle Art said I could keep them. Aurelian made to get down from the table, but Hermione stopped him. Not right now. You can show him after dinner. Aurelian nodded and began to eat faster. So what about you? Hermione asked Draco. How'd it go today? Well, I had brunch with Pansy today. It, well, this probably isn't the place to discuss it, he said uncertainly. It was a nice time. I was glad to catch up with her. I hadn't seen her for a couple weeks. Are you too close then? Well, sort of. We always have been. We don't see each other as often as we used to, but we still get on well. 
It's one of those things where time can pass between visits, but when we see each other, it's like no time has passed, you know? He answered. Yeah, Hermione said. So, where did you tell your mother you were going tonight? Hermione looked quite hesitant to ask, but she was quite curious. I just told her that I was going to dinner. Though we live in the same house, we hardly ever manage meals together. That's why yesterday's dinner was so important, Draco explained. She had invited my great-uncle on my father's side over for dinner. We haven't seen him since father's imprisonment. It was obviously difficult for him to speak about. But mother doesn't want us, me especially, to cut ties with the family. Hermione and Draco fell into silence again, and in their discomfort took an extra long pull from their glasses. Hermione was pleasantly surprised at how well the sweet oak taste of the wine complimented her homemade macaroni and cheese, not to mention the way it helped soothe her nerves. The gift, she decided, was appreciated much more than just as a kind gesture. She set down her glass and took a great deep breath before she plunged into the question that she'd been waiting to ask. Are you going to tell her about him? Draco was quite taken aback by her question. He had felt that they were playing the game of cordial dinner conversation rather well until that point. That question felt more like one he would be asked in the interrogation room. It felt like a test again, and it was a question with a dangerous double edge. He would not let that affect his answer, though. No, he stated, at least not any time soon. I wouldn't know how to explain it, and considering I was told that this is a confidential case, I'm really not at liberty to discuss it. Hermione nodded and appeared satisfied with his answer. What about you? Draco asked, turning the tables. Are you planning to tell your parents? Yes, Hermione answered quietly. I really can't avoid it, I figure. They'll have to meet him sooner or later with all that I've hidden from them in the past. I feel it would be best to tell them soon. I really don't know how I'll explain it to them yet, but they're quite used to not understanding or getting full answers at this point. As they've had to come to terms with my decision to remain in the wizarding world, they've had to come to terms with the fact that odd things happen to me. I really wonder if they believe that such strange things happen to everyone in the wizarding world. Aurelian had covered his mouth and began to snicker partway through her explanation, and Draco and Hermione looked at him curiously, wondering at the joke. Grown-ups don't have mums and dads, he giggled. Of course they do, Hermione told him. He giggled again. I have a mum and dad. They're your grandmother and grandfather. You'll get to meet them on Sunday. That soon? Draco said with surprise. When's Sunday, mummy? How many sleeps? Aurelian asked excitedly. Two nights till Sunday. Tonight, then tomorrow night. Two big sleeps. Then we'll see them in the morning. She explained in terms of time that he understood. She then turned to address Draco's question. And yes, I see them every Sunday for brunch. It will be a shock for them, but I'll be happy to get it over with. Do they know who I am? Will you tell them? Draco asked, appearing rather unnerved. They only know of you as the boy who picked on me in school. And yes, telling them who Aurelian's father is something I feel I should be able to share with them, Hermione declared. I don't intend to speak badly of you, if that's your concern. Draco nodded. I done, mummy! Aurelian proclaimed as he stood up in his chair and picked up his plate to show her that he had eaten everything she had given him. We play now? Hermione looked at Draco and saw the question his eyes asked. Yes, you can play with Daddy for a little while. You two go on and I'll clean up. We can have dessert in a little while. Draco nodded and stood up to follow Aurelian into the living room. Hermione cleaned the dishes, giving the boys some time to play together, and sat out some of the clean plates for dessert. When she was through, she went into the living room with another glass of wine for herself and another for Draco. When she handed it to him, he nodded with a quick distracted thank you, as he was rather immersed in play with Aurelian. The two of them had moved to the coffee table to the other side of the room and sat on the floor. 
Oliver Raylian's new Tornado's Quidditch figures, along with Ron's old and worn Chudley Cannons players, flew or walked around the lighted boundaries of a makeshift Quidditch pitch that Draco had made for them. What's his name again? Aurelian asked, pointing to the figure holding the quaffle. He was not familiar with these players, since the ones he had previously owned were players that were not yet drafted, and he asked Draco their names every couple of minutes. That's Perchant, Draco answered. He your favorite? Aurelian inquired. No, I think my favorite player is Auburn, Draco told him, pointing out another one of the chasers. He's a damn good flyer. He has quite amazing skills. What'd he do? Well, he's the king of the sloth grip roll, Draco replied. Do you know what that is? When they flip upside down, Aurelian said knowledgeably. Hermione and Draco were both rather impressed. She understood what a serious sport Quidditch was in the wizarding world, but she was always surprised by it, especially when someone so young showed such knowledge and interest in it. Yeah, that's right, said Draco. Auburn uses it as more than just a defensive move to dodge a bludger, though. If he has someone from the other team attempting to intercept, his teammates throw it beneath him, and he uses the sloth grip roll to catch it. Then he flies around forward at the same speed, turning himself right side up. Wow, you show me, Daddy? Well, I haven't played with Quidditch figurines for quite a long time. I'm not sure if they can perform a player's specific moves, Draco said pensively. We can give it a try, though, can't we? Yeah! All right, Perchant, give up the quaffle. Draco ordered the player with the ball. Okay, Aurelian, get Auburn moving. Aurelian prodded the player in the back, and it hopped on his broom and began to fly around the boundaries. Draco scooted backwards and laid down on his stomach to get a better view. He strategically set up a small ramp and flicked the tiny quaffle towards the ready chaser. It quickly dove and caught the ball. Hmm, said Draco. I shot it too far ahead of him. Let's give it another go. Draco aimed again and waited until the figure was where he wanted before he flicked the ball again. The figurine on the broom turned upside down and caught the ball. A great smile broke over Draco's face. There we go, he said excitedly. Yay, squealed the small boy, clapping his hands with glee. He's great, Daddy. He's my favorite, too. Hermione chuckled from her place on the sofa. She found the two of them rather amusing. You take me to see him? Aurelian asked. Um, I don't know, Draco said uncomfortably. I haven't been to a game in quite some time, he deflected. I used to go with Blaze a lot, but I got rather annoyed with him. See, he supports the magpies and often pokes fun at my team. I draw you a picture, Daddy. I draw for you. I draw for him, Mummy. Aurelian asked hopefully. Sure, I'll go get the crayons and the parchment. But you'll have to color in the kitchen, she told him as she got up and placed her wine glass on the coffee table. Draco got to his feet also. No, Daddy, it's a surprise. You wait here, Aurelian ordered, holding his hand out to make sure Draco didn't follow. Hermione followed into the kitchen, and as soon as she set him up to color, she also was shooed to the living room. So, Hermione said uncertainly, sharing the sofa with Draco. You and Zabini are rather close then? Yeah, I'd say so. He and Pansy are the only ones I really keep in touch with after the war. He's a good guy. Things were awkward between us after the war, but he seemed to forgive me for it, and we started hanging out quite a bit. Like Pansy, we haven't seen each other much as lately. Still, I see him more than Pansy. It's kind of strange between the three of us. Though we all get along well, we never really get together the three of us. I'll hang out with either of them separately, and they see each other without me also. Hermione wasn't sure if it was playing with the Raelian that loosened him up, or if it was the wine, but she was rather intrigued by how open he was in talking to her about them. It's now been about a week and a half since I've seen him, he continued. I've been meaning to get together with him, but we've both been rather busy. I think it could help us out if I did, though. He works for Pansy's father. I don't know if you knew that. 
No, I didn't. I really haven't heard anything about him since school, Hermione admitted. I really didn't even know the two of you were friends. Yeah. Yeah, we've been friends since school, but we only really got close after the war. Draco looked rather uneasy when he realized how much he had said. You know, Aurelian's been gone quite some time. I think I better go check on him, Hermione said as she got up to head to the kitchen. Aurelian, she cried as soon as she turned the corner. What are you doing? Is yummy, Aurelian gave in a way of explanation. Hermione really needed no explanation as she had caught the little boy with his hands and face covered in whipped cream icing, custard, and crumbs as he stood on the chair in front of a demolished dessert. I like strawberries. Oh, goodness, Aurelian, she groaned. We were going to eat that in a minute. Come on, let's go get you cleaned up. Hermione looked flustered and apologetic when she re-entered the living room, steering Aurelian by the shoulder. I'm really sorry, but I'm going to have to ask you to give us a few minutes. It seems that Aurelian couldn't wait any longer for dessert. Draco wore a large smirk and tried hard to contain the laugh that he was dying to escape as he looked at the happy mess child. Was it good? he asked. Aurelian nodded. I like strawberries. I'm just going to give him a really quick bath. We'll be right back, Hermione said, steering the boy back down the hall. And no, please don't touch the wall, she sighed and cast a quick cleaning spell. Hermione reemerged from the hall only fifteen minutes later with Aurelian draped over her front, with his damp head resting on her shoulder. I'm sorry again, Hermione said. It seems that your time is going to be cut shorter still. He's quite sleepy as he missed his nap today. I'm not sleepy, Aurelian said, with his head shooting up. I want to play with Daddy more. Look, Daddy, I got more jammies. Aurelian proudly displayed the worn pajamas with tattered cuffs, and Hermione felt a bit embarrassed that this was the best she had to offer him at present. You are tired, so you're going to have to tell your daddy goodnight, Hermione insisted. Daddy, tell me story? Aurelian asked. What? Draco asked, taken by surprise. He looked a bit panicked, playing Quidditch he could do, but telling bedtime stories? Please, hopping pot story, Aurelian pleaded, his sparkling gray eyes upon his father's. I... I don't think I remember that one well, Draco said uncertainly. He looked up at Hermione uneasily. Hermione believed that she understood. She knew the tale of the wizard and the hopping pot by Beetle the Bard. It was a story of a wizard that learned to be kind to his muggle neighbors. She also knew that at some point in history, it had been changed so that the wizard in the story punished the annoying muggles instead. It had again been changed back to the original tale, but some pureblood families still told the disgustingly hateful version. Knowing Draco's father, she assumed it was the version Draco had grown up with. I don't know that he's ready to tell a story tonight, Hermione aided him. No, no, I can, Draco said, looking at Hermione rather defiantly. He felt like he was being tested again. He wasn't sure that it was how Hermione perceived it, but he did, and he refused to fail. I just... What about Babbity Rabbity and her cackling stump instead? No, Hopping Pot, Aurelian insisted, jumping up and down moodily for effect. You won't hear any story if you act like that, Hermione said seriously. Aurelian pouted. Please? Draco looked extremely frustrated and upset, uncertain what to do or say. I have a copy of Tales of Beetle the Bard if you'd like to read it to him, Hermione offered. You really don't have to, though. He regularly tries to find ways to put off bedtime for as long as he can. Draco looked at her uncertainly. She was grading him. He knew it. She had to be. If you have the book, I would appreciate it, he replied. Yay! Aurelian cheered. You got to make the noises, too. Hermione handed him the book, not the original copy that Dumbledore had given her, and considered him objectively. She saw how unnerved he was and didn't understand his determination. Did he feel he had something to prove? She simply didn't understand him. 
Draco opened the book and began reading rather stiffly. He looked uncomfortable at Hermione when Aurelian again insisted that he make the noises. Taking pity on Draco, she excused herself to the kitchen to allow him to finish the story privately. Um, uh, Draco called uncertainly. Hermione returned to the living room and found her son leaning against his father. His lids kept fluttering open and closed, his eyes beginning to roll back. Told you he was tired, she smiled fondly at the peaceful toddler. I'll go put him to bed. Hermione scooped the limp little boy into her arms and he wiggled into a comfortable position. I should... Draco started as he stood from the sofa. He stopped and amended uncertainly. Um, should I go? Not yet. I, I'd like to talk to you for a minute, if that's okay, Hermione told him. Draco nodded and sat back down. When Hermione disappeared down the hall, Draco wiped his sweaty palms on his robes. That was it. He was about to be graded. At the thought, he scowled, quite disgusted with himself. It was ridiculous. He couldn't figure out what his problem was. Why was he allowing himself to be judged by Granger? Why did he feel the need for her to approve? Yes, he wanted to see Aurelian, but he shouldn't have to prove himself to do it. But perhaps he desired her approval for more than just the right to see his son. He shook his head. No, this was just to see Aurelian. If he wanted to see his son, he needed Hermione's consent to do that. He had to pass her test. He thought that they all got on pretty well, but Granger was very serious about perfection and good marks. Who knew what she thought of him? Hermione re-entered the living room and stared at the man on her sofa. She felt just as nervous as he looked to sit down and talk. Can I get you a slice of cassata cake? She offered. It looks like some of it is still salvageable. Um, sure, Draco accepted. He really didn't feel in the mood for dessert, but putting off his talk with Hermione for another couple minutes sounded okay. Hermione took a deep breath and walked into the living room with two small plates of cake and handed one to Draco before anxiously taking a seat next to him. Draco politely took a bite and waited. So, he prompted. I don't know, Hermione answered quietly. She knew that they needed to talk, but she wasn't sure what to say. I just... I don't understand you, and it worries me, she added. I just need to know. What is he to you? She looked him in the eye, and he could see her apprehension and sincere concern. It felt so strange to look at her like that. In all the years he'd known her, he wasn't sure he ever really looked her directly in the eyes. I... He started, pausing to truly consider the question. He's my son. I know that, said Hermione. But being a biological parent doesn't automatically make a person want to become involved in a child's life. What does he mean to you? I don't know, he said with a slight bit of irritation. I don't know what you're asking me. What is he to you? Hermione looked down at her hands as she considered the question herself. She smiled softly and answered, He's my son. She looked at Draco out of the corner of her eye, now understanding what a difficult question it was. I feel responsible for him. The future me, the mother of his past, sent him to me, trusting me to care for him. I gave that responsibility to myself, and I don't take it lightly. Do you love him? Draco asked suddenly, even surprising himself. Hermione paused as she considered it, and another small smile formed on her lips. Yes. Yes, I do. She looked up at the man next to her, wondering what he would think of her answer. It had been less than a week ago that she met the child, and he was thrust into her care, but there was no denying it. She loved him. Which is why this is so important to me. He's important to me, so I need to know what all of this is to you. I know why I want to care for him and be part of his life, but why do you? Draco looked down and away from her as he thought. He thought he had proven himself enough that night without having to share his private thoughts with her. She had just revealed hers, though. She was being honest about what she felt, and she was giving him a chance. He sighed. I walked into work one day, was thrown into an interrogation room, and told that I had a son with a person I absolutely would never have considered. 
And I mean no offense by that, Draco told her seriously. None taken, Hermione replied sincerely. She had been just as stunned. I didn't exactly want to see him after that. But things changed. I'm not exactly a well-liked person in general, he admitted quietly, still avoiding her eyes. It was rather unsettling, the way he was so thrilled to see me at first. After watching the memories, though, I saw what I was to him. I saw what he was to me. I can't stop thinking about him now. I can't bear the thought of him walking around this world wondering what happened to me and why I'm not around. I can't stand the thought of letting him down. His voice was deep and rough as he said it. His jaw was tight and he was still facing away from Hermione. He never imagined he would have feelings like this and it would rather disconcerting admitting those feelings to someone he didn't trust. Well, he had to admit he trusted her in many things, but certainly not enough to share with her the things he had never really believed he would share with anyone. And yet, he just had. Hermione nodded silently, and Draco chanced to glance at her. I understand, she told him softly. She understood quite well, in fact. It was much of what she felt herself. Let me see him, he pleaded, his gray eyes finding hers again. Please. Hermione gave another small nod. When? When can I see him again? Draco continued, a piece of him lighting, and another piece of him becoming even more desperate. When would you like to? Hermione asked. She still felt rather nervous around him, and knew that she'd see him more often. Whenever you'll let me, he replied. That answer didn't help her a bit. Her question was meant to gauge how involved he hoped to be. Did Draco want to see Aurelian once a week, more frequently than that? The desperate pleading look in her eye told her that once a week would not do. Well, this weekend is a bit busy, she told him. We have that meeting with the Weasleys tomorrow night, like we told you. Sunday, I have brunch with my parents. Tomorrow morning, Aurelian and I are shopping again. He only has the two pairs of acceptable robes. You've seen the only toys he has. I also need to look into getting him his own bed. Hermione grimaced when she realized she was getting off topic. Her planning and list-making tendencies had broken through. But we could maybe... Would it be too uncomfortable if I went with you both tomorrow? Draco asked quietly. His insides twisted. He couldn't believe what he'd done. He couldn't understand himself and what he felt. He only knew he felt desperate. Hermione stopped breathing for a second and stared at him with her mouth agape. She was a bit panicked. She knew she'd been seeing more of him, but she wasn't yet sure what she felt about that, and especially seeing him in a public setting with Aurelian between them. It felt a little... intimate? He wasn't unpleasant, though. He was actually rather good with Aurelian. She had honestly found it rather interesting talking to him. He really was trying. Just go with it, Ginny had told her. Hermione hadn't told anyone that Draco was coming over for dinner that night, but she had spoken to Ginny about everything going on. Ginny had told her, like she had in the past, that she simply thought and planned too much. She told Hermione that she couldn't plan for everything. If she was going to get hurt, then she was going to get hurt, no matter how fast or slow she approached things. Just go with it and see where life takes you. Um, that, that would be all right, I guess, Hermione agreed. I was planning on going kind of early, as it's Saturday tomorrow, it's bound to be quite busy, and I'm hoping to get there before the crowd. Draco was actually quite stunned that she had agreed, but more relieved that he'd imagined. Er, what time then? Do you think you could meet here a little before ten? She asked, nibbling her bottom lip. Yeah, yeah, I'll be here. Draco's stomach was swimming. His emotions had been up and down so many times that evening that he was sincerely concerned that he might become physically ill. Hermione looked rather pale to him as well. Hermione nodded. Draco stood up, knowing the evening was then over, and Hermione stood too. They stared at each other for a moment and both nodded, uncertain of what they should say. 
Their many private thoughts cluttered their minds and prevented them from remembering the steps to the dance that they were courteous host and guest manners. Thank you for dinner, Draco said finally. It really was good. Thank you, Hermione answered, still nodding. Um, I'll see you in the morning. Draco nodded and turned toward the fireplace. Draco? Hermione called hesitantly, stopping him as he reached for the bag of flu powder. He turned and looked at her, taken aback by the use of his first name and her nervous, guilty pout. I'm sorry for judging you so harshly before. It really wasn't fair of me. Draco's tiny nod might have gone unnoticed if Hermione hadn't been looking for it. Thank you, he said seriously. Tomorrow. Tomorrow. Draco disappeared in a whoosh of green flames and Hermione started the process of tidying up her flat. Her mind was buzzing with incomplete thoughts that rushed quickly through her head, her emotions being tugged in all directions. She wasn't sure about Draco. She never really had been. But just then she felt more confused than ever. He seemed all right, but it was a direct contradiction to what she previously thought of him. She still wasn't sure she could trust him. He had to have changed some to be able to swallow his pride and talk to her the way he had. But how much had he changed? When had he changed? And why? Did he change his mind after the war? She had worked with him a few times when their departments mingled in a few cases, and he had never called her a mugblood on any of those occasions, like he would have when they were at school. But he wasn't pleasant either. Could a viewing the memories really have caused such a great change in him so quickly? Whatever had changed him, she had to admit, it was a good change. Looking at him the way he was that evening, she saw a little bit of the man in the pensive. That thought frightened her, though. He was not that man, and she was not that woman. The events in those memories would not play out the same. She could not love Draco Malfoy. She just wasn't that woman.